Well, I thought we might begin the sermon this morning doing something fun, F-U-N. You may never have thought about a sermon and fun going together. Maybe for you, fun with a sermon is when the thing is over. Some people, fun would be never hear a sermon. You know, it's sad to me that many people that are Christians never go to hear the Word of God preached. They don't go to church. And what makes it so sad is that in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, the Bible tells us, God tells us, that we're not to forsake ourselves from being together and worshiping with other believers. In fact, it goes on to say, so that we might encourage one another. You know, we have this idea, we just come to church and it's all about what we can get. Well, there is truth to that, but that's not the whole truth. One of the great things about coming to church, and I too am so glad you're here, is that we have the opportunity to encourage each other. And so I hope that as you come on Sundays and you come in, then you go out, you might just have a little word of encouragement to somebody. You might just even just smile at somebody, and it may be just what they needed at that moment. So that said, here's how I want to have fun this morning. I'm going to give you a what I would call a Bible 101 test. And you say, well, pastor, tests, they're not fun. Well, this test will be fun, and here's why. You grade your own paper. And what really is so good, you don't have a paper. You'll just do it in your head. So nobody really is going to be looking over to see how you answered the questions. You'll know. And let's just see how we do. There are five questions. Question number one, now you know these, you know all of these, but question number one, how many books are there in the Bible? I mean, like I have one Bible, you have one Bible in your hand. How many different books are in the Bible? Well, the answer, of course, is 66. Now, there's two little other bullets under that. How many of those 66 books are in the Old Testament? Well, 39, and you knew that. And how many in the New Testament? Well, you can do the math, 27, <laughs> okay? Now, so far, everybody's made 20. Do you like making 20 on a test? No. Well, let's do question number two. We'll move this thing up to number 40. Question number two, what is the first book in the Bible? Well, you know the answer to that. It is Genesis. Now you've made 40. All right, question number three. Let's go back in the Old Testament a moment. Name the five first books in the Old Testament. Now, you know them. You may not think you know them, but you really do. When you start saying them, it's like riding a bicycle. You just get on it and start pedaling, and it goes. All right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So now you have made 60 on your test. All right. Question number four, and you know this one. This is a real easy. Name the first four books in the New Testament. Hey, could we do that together? Do you think that would be okay? Would you do this with me? Would you shake your head like I like this test? Okay. All right. First four books in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You're now up to 80. And this is, this is fun. It make 80 on a test. I've had many tests. I'd be glad to get an 80. Well, you're going to make 100 on this test. What is the last book in the Bible? It is the book of what? 
Revelate, you have just now made a hundred. Isn't it fun to make a hundred? Like a smiley face. I can't remember. I was thinking this morning, you know, when is the last time when I was in school that I made a hundred on a test? Well, I'm sure down there somewhere, but I, I had more tests I didn't make a hundred than I did make a hundred. Well, all that's easy. Now, that's the end of the fun. The next thing I'm going to ask you to do this morning is not easy. It's hard. If you have your Bible with you, here's what's hard. I want you to just, don't do it yet. I'm going to show you a trick to find it. I want you in a moment, not now, in a moment, I want you to open your Bible to the book of Ezekiel. You say, oh my great, where is it? Well, of course, all of our Bibles are not the same thickness, okay? But like, if you'll just take your Bible and, and look down somewhere about the middle of it, it won't work out perfect, but it'll get you somewhere. Uh, open it up. And, and mine just happened to flop open to the book of Jeremiah. Well, if you found, maybe yours popped open to the book of uh, Isaiah. If it did, go forward to Jeremiah. If you opened up to Jeremiah, go forward to Lamentations. But when you get in Lamentations, put the brakes on and go very gently because the next book is going to be the book of Ezekiel. You know, some of these books are hard to find. They really are. Like in the Old Testament, does Amos come before Jonah? Does Jonah come before Amos? Well, unless you've just been working on that, sometimes you don't know. I'll tell you a little secret. In the front of the Bible, there's a table of contents. Yeah. You say, I would be ashamed to go to the table of contents. Well, when you do, when you go to the table of contents, like if you're sitting close to people in church, you can always bend over like you're praying, you know, kind of look in there. You know, don't be, hey, look, guys, gals, don't be ashamed to use the table of contents. I mean, does Jonah come before Hosea? Does Hosea come before Jonah? Well, that's a sermon for another time. We are in the book of Ezekiel. Have you all found the book of Ezekiel? Okay. If you have a Bible, it does not have Ezekiel. Go to our family room at the end of the service. They will give you a real Bible. It will have all 66 books. Now, all that said, listen carefully. The book of Ezekiel would not be the book I would suggest giving a new Christian to read first. Like a person just become a Christian. They've just trusted Jesus. They, they don't even know the Bible has a table of contents. And you say, hey, I want to give you a new Bible. We give all new Christians a, a brand new good Bible. So now what I want you to do today, go home and start reading the book of Ezekiel. I think that'd be the worst thing in the world you could tell a person that's a new Christian. And here's why I say that. Because the book of Ezekiel is full of visions and prophecies and signs. And a lot of them, it seems like it's way out there and doesn't make any sense. And, and, and they'd be confused. Now, listen very carefully. I think if you just understand just a little, not a lot, but just a little of the background of the book of Ezekiel, hear me, Ezekiel is going to become one of your favorite books in the Bible, really. And I'll show you why in a moment I go to read. Now, let me just tell you about this little book of Ezekiel in just a very quick moment. Hear this. In, in 605 B.C., that's 605 years before the birth of Christ, the Babylonians 
led by their king, whose name was Nebuchadnezzar, traveled almost 1,800 miles with, with his army over to Jerusalem to take Jerusalem captive and to deport many of the Jewish people back 1,800 miles to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. Now, that was like the first phase. Okay, seven years later, 598 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylon army traveled all the way back to Jerusalem, and they rounded up another bunch of Jewish people, about 10,000 of them. And they took them back to Babylonian captivity. Okay, now in this group, in this second phase, there was a young man, 25 years of age, named Ezekiel. So Ezekiel was one of the Jews from Jerusalem that was taken captive back to Babylon. Now in 586, Nebuchadnezzar and his army came back to Jerusalem and they destroyed Jerusalem pretty much. They took many more of the Jewish people. Now listen carefully. In all three of these phases of taking the Jews to Babylon, they just took the best ones, the healthiest ones the best educated ones, the more successful ones. They didn't take the poor people. They called them the people of the land. They just left them in Jerusalem because old Nebuchadnezzar knew that the Jewish people were good business people. And if he could get enough of them over in Babylon, they could have their own houses. They could have their own businesses. They would pay tax. They, could, they lived a good life except they could not go back to their homeland, and that was why they were so discouraged. So what did God do? God looked down and saw his discouraged Jewish children, and they'd lost hope. And they just felt, I'll never get to go back to see my homeland again. And even some had family who had been left behind. So God spoke and called this guy named Ezekiel to be a prophet, and he gave him a message of hope. And I want you to turn with me to Genesis, not, not Genesis, Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're going to read and we're going to see about this. So in Ezekiel chapter 37, probably the most familiar chapter in the whole book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel says, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. And so God is giving this young prophet a vision of this big valley full of these bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, they were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And God said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I answered God, O Lord God, you know. Again, God said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, notice this, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling 
and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. So God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds. The four winds, uh, it, it represents the full power of God, the full power of God's Spirit. It says, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, uh, an exceedingly great army. Now, verse 11 is very important. It explains who these bones are. Then God said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. We ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, talking about graves of exile and cause you to come up from your graves of exile and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. O my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. And one of the study Bibles that I was reading some weeks ago kind of title that little portion of scripture, uh, a very interesting title, Dry Bones Baking in the Sun. And that's where I got my sermon idea, my sermon title, Dry Bones Baking in the Sun. So understand something, that portion of scripture has nothing to do with about you and me and Christians coming up out of our graves when Christ returns. Verse 11 explains exactly what it's talking about. It's talking about the Israelites that had been taken over to Babylon, their restoration back to their homeland. Now that's the deal. And what did they feel? Well, you see it down. It's beautiful. You see it down in verse number 11. They felt like their bones were dry. If you have your Bible, you might underline it. They felt like our hope is lost. And they felt like they were cut off. Well, I can imagine. That's how you would have felt. It's how I would have felt. Now, let's think about what's going on here and how it has to do with us. Because sometimes in life, things happen. And some of you today are going through these, one of these kind of things where you've just kind of lost hope. And you feel like, you know, your spirits just kind of run dry. From time to time, all of us encounter little seasons where our spirit is not, you know, on the mountaintop like it is other times. And we just kind of feel cut off from life and what is going on. In some ways, the whole pandemic has been a little bit like that. You know, I mean, the pandemic, it, 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 it's, been a, it's been a challenge and to some, even more than to others. You know, I've thought about so many who uh, can't go to see their uh, parents or their grandparents in the hospital or uh, in, in a nursing home. And we've seen pictures of, you know, they just look through the windows and see one another and put their hands up, do the best they can to touch. And, uh, you know, we've had families who've had family members who've gone to the hospital and even died. And at that time, even family members couldn't be with them. 
Now, these are, these are difficult things, and everything's not like that, but there's so many things in life that can make us feel exactly like uh, the Jewish people felt when they were in uh, Babylonian captivity. And we need the very same thing they needed, and here's, here's what it is. When you feel like you're losing hope, you know, that little feeling just comes on you. Or you may say, no, I don't, I don't feel like I'm losing hope. I feel like I've lost hope. It's like the sky falls. Okay? Here's what you need. You need a word from God. Now listen carefully and look carefully. If you look in verse number four, this is exactly what God said to the prophet Ezekiel. God said to him, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So God looked down, saw them in their discouragement. They, they were like dry bones. And God said what they need, they need a word. And God gave them a word. And interesting, when Ezekiel began to give them the word that God had given him to give them, things began to happen. Look in verse 7. Ezekiel said, so I prophesied. And as I commanded, as I prophesied, as God commanded, there was a noise. And suddenly, a rattling. And bones started coming. Things started happening when God's people received a word from God. Now, thinking about that, primarily God speaks to you and to me through this book we call the Bible. You see, Scripture is the Word of God in print. That's what it is. I have my Bible. What do I have? I have the Word of God in print. And when I'm going through a challenging thing in my life, what I need more than anything, I need a Word from God. And what's so wonderful, I have it here. I have God's Word in print. It's like these smartphones that we have. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at this, but I'm, I'm working at it, but I have to be careful. You know, you can, you can mash the little button, and you can send a text, talk. You can just tell the phone what to type. You all do know about this, do you not? All right. Now, let me, let me caution you. Before you hit the send button, you might want to look at what that thing says you said. Because sometimes it really, either I'm not speaking as I should, or this lady in my phone's not very smart. But, so I have to go back and do a little editing sometime. But, but it's a fascinating thing, really, to me, that, that like I, I talk, and I look on my screen on my phone, and I'm seeing printed the words that I've just said. Well, this is what we have in the Bible. The, the scripture, the Bible is God's word in print. And listen to me carefully. Nothing brings comfort when you feel like you've lost hope, when you feel like dry bones, when you feel like, man, my, my old enthusiasm just, I'm, I don't know what's, I'm just kind of running on empty. I'm telling you how to fill up. Fill up with the word of God because there's a power in God's word. God's Word will reveal things to you that you can find out about no other way. And God's Word does something to you and to me to help us 
like nothing in this world can help us. Now, illustration, personal. Were it not May 2, I wouldn't use this illustration. I concede that. I've, you've heard this before. But today is May the 2nd. You, you know that. All right. Well, to you, that may not be a big day. To our family, May the 2nd, we will never, ever have a May 2nd that we don't think about it's May 2nd. Because it was two years ago today, May the 2nd. Late, it was a Thursday afternoon, May the 2nd, two years ago, late in the afternoon, in a medical facility on Richmond Avenue, downtown Houston, where we learned that Dottie had lymphoma. It was like the sky had fallen. I mean, she wasn't even sick, or she had no symptoms of being sick, but we'll never forget that. And then the following Wednesday, the following Wednesday, we were in MD Anderson. We being John, our other son, Joel, was with us. And of course, Dottie was laying on an examining table, and I was over kind of in the corner of a chair, and the doctor that we were to see was in the room and spent about 45 minutes going over all the pictures that we had brought and the film showing what was inside of her and kind of going through what was involved. And then after all of that, the doctor said, now I must be totally honest. And you've heard Dottie give this testimony and I share it again because it's May the 2nd when all this started two years ago. She said, I'm really not sure that you can make it through what we're going to put in you. I don't know for sure that your heart will be able to handle the chemo that we're going to put in your body. And on top of that, one of your kidneys is now not functioning really very much. And so this other kidney has got to pick up the slack. And I'm not sure that that, that kidney is going to be able to do that either. And because I'm not sure you can live through this, I'm going to put you in the hospital and take th three days to do what we would normally do in about eight hours. That's how we got in the hospital the two times. Now, well, let me tell you what, folks. <clears throat> that was not a very good day. You talk about dry bones. You say, well, you shouldn't be that way. You're the pastor. But if you'll see me after church, I'd like to kind of shake your head. Let me tell you what, I'm a human being. I'm just like you. And I'm sitting in my little chair over in the corner listening to this. And whatever enthusiasm I had was gone. I mean, what that doctor was saying, the doctor didn't even have much hope. And I'm, I'm sitting over here thinking, my, this, I just can't believe this. Well... We left to come home to get stuff to go back to the hospital the next day. And on our way home, Dottie said, I want to go by Walgreens to get a little spiral notebook. And, and we did. We, I don't remember very many words said coming back home, but that, that's other than that much. We, and this is the spiral, little spiral notebook. I have it with me today. And you've seen it like this. These are these verses that we prayed through all these past 
year and a half of getting through that. But this is, this is like the original manuscripts. You know, people say they don't have the original manuscripts of the Bible. Well, what Dottie did, she took these and she wrote Bible verses on all these pieces in here. But then what we did after she got that done, she did it pretty quickly. Every morning and every night, we didn't just read these Bible verses. We prayed these Bible verses. And then when she was in hospital being given chemo, the whole time I read these Bible verses. I prayed them. I didn't just, I would read them and pray them. I would read them and pray them. And I'm just saying this to you, and I bring this up. Many of you have already heard this story. If it weren't May 2nd, I wouldn't tell it today. But I tell it today to, to, to say a truth. The comfort that has come from this has just been unbelievable. I mean, I, I, Dottie, she never really showed a loss of her spirit. She kind of kept her spirit. You saw John, he just sunk. Yeah, I mean, he just, he's just a rocker, Gibraltar, you know. Well, I was worse, but I'm, I'm better at covering it up. You know, old John just loses it right in front of everybody. Well, that's okay. But I tell you what, this is how old John got up too. And I'm saying this to you today. When you feel like you're losing hope, whatever it is, and listen to me, if Jesus tears and you live very long, I don't want to discourage you, but I want to tell you, life can bring some hard things. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. So everything out there is not pie in the sky. But I'll tell you what, we have a God who can do something about it. Can I have an amen to that? Now, when you, when you feel like you're losing hope or you feel like you've lost hope, whatever it is, you not only need a word from God, you need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Look with me very quickly down in verse 17, uh, verse 14. Uh, he told Ezekiel, tell thy people, my people, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Now here's the deal. Before they ever got in Babylonian captivity, an old prophet named Jeremiah back in Jerusalem, he, he told them, if you don't repent of your sins, and quit worshiping these false gods and come back and worship the true God, what God's going to do to you, he's going to pass judgment on you. And he said to them, you're going to be taken as captives to Babylon, and you're going to be there for 70 years. You can read about this in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. They had been told, but evidently they had forgotten the promise because they had lost hope. Now, folks, listen. <laughs> The fact of the matter is, at the end of 70 years, a king from Persia named Cyrus came and issued a proclamation and said, we're going to, we're going to let the Jewish people go back home and, and rebuild their temple and worship their God. And so God used a heathen king to get them over there. He used another heathen king to get them back. Here's the point. God had a plan, and when God has a plan, God always fulfills the plan. Remember that. In your life, any promise God makes you, God will fulfill that promise. Now hear this, but your part, you need the Holy Spirit. That's what they needed in you 
to, to enable you to be in position where you need to be for God to fulfill that promise. So it is a glorious, wonderful thing. Bottom line is this. When you go through hard things, when you've kind of lost your hope, you feel like dry bones, <laughs> you feel like you've just been cut off, uh, what do you do? You get a word from God. And then you ask, God, would you let the four winds blow and give me an unusual anointing of thy spirit to help me through these things? We used to have in our Purax, I grew up this way. You had hymnals, like songbooks is what they were, old hymnals. And the choir leader would say, turn to this page and to that page. And we'd all turn to it and we'd sing. Now we do all this stuff on screens. But be that as it may, there was an old song. I grew up singing this song. I, sometimes we still hear it sung. It says, it's a beautiful song. It says, my hope is built, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You hear that? That's a beautiful old hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And then that old hymn, same hymn goes on to say, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. Folks, listen to me. There are a lot of people out here living what they call the good life. The good life. They're blessed. They can just go where they want to go, do whatever they want to do. Just, just, just eat, drink, be merry. Everything's wonderful. But I know a lot of folks like that. They say they're Christians. I hope they are. But whatever they are, they're living their life on seeking sand. Because it won't always be that way. I want to encourage you this morning. Look, on Christ the solid rock I stand. You stand on the rock. You stand on Jesus. And when something comes into your life and you feel like, man, I'm just losing hope. I'm losing my enthusiasm. I'm becoming discouraged. I'm becoming depressed. Listen, let that be a red flag to go up and say, hey, I know a solution. I need a word from God. I need a word from God. And get your Bible. It's God's word in print. And just read, and you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. The power in this book. I love that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You know the verse. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know what all that means? <laughs> that verse is saying all scripture has been God-breathed. This is God's word in print. And it's good for doctrine. Doctrine says this is what's right. Reproof says this is what's wrong. Correction says this is how you get right. And instruction in righteousness means teaches you how to live right. What more could you and I want? Then one book, God's Word in print, to say, hey, this is right. This is not right. This is how you get right. And this is how you stay right. And then have God's Holy Spirit to enable you to live right.